Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has published new rules that would govern the super-scammy payday lending industry in the hopes that new oversight will lead to fewer people falling victim to the industry's predations. Alexis Goldstein from Americans for Financial Reform joins us to evaluate whether the Bureau's recommendations have real teeth. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, we've had the first child born in the continental United States with Zika virus-related microcephaly. This largely symbolic event gives us another opportunity to examine the halting and insufficient way Congress has thus far approached the threat of a widespread Zika outbreak and the increasingly desperate warnings from public health professionals about the costs of inaction. Mosquito season, we remind you, is fast approaching. Speaking of public health, the lead water crisis in Flint, Michigan, did grievous harm to the public's trust in institutions that badly failed in their mission. But there's lately been a new twist in the tale. An organization called Water Defense, associated with actor Mark Ruffalo, has been stoking fears in Flint about further dangers in the water supply, fears that scientists who have been working in the area say are entirely unfounded. Finally, how is that degree from Trump University working out for you? Well, if you're like many of the people who attended this ersatz college or who sold it to unsuspecting marks, probably not well. Newly released documents in the lawsuit against Trump's real estate education venture confirms what you probably already knew. The whole enterprise was a predatory scam. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Laura Bassett, Igor Bobik, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Sam Stein. And here's what happened first. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of So That Happened, your weekly digest of stuff that has occurred in politics that has affected us in some emotional way. My name is Jason Lincoln. I'm the editor of Youth the Press of the Huffington Post, and we're happy to have you. And joining us right now to begin this segment, we have our pal, Zach Carter. Hi, everybody. And his dog, Gus. <laughs> Gus is in the room. We're obviously doing some, you know, sound effects editing on this to make it seem like he's more present. And we're very happy to once again welcome back uh, one of our good friends, Alexis Goldstein from Americans Hello. for Financial Reform. Yay! Yes. So we're going to kick things off with some bank dorkery. And, like, literally, maybe we have some cheerful news to talk about today. The... Uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or the CFPB, as we affectionately know it as, has spent four years studying the problem of payday lending, an industry that is pretty much designed to ensnare uh, poor people in revolving debt traps from which they can never escape. Uh, And they have been working on putting out new rules to govern the industry and to help consumers find their way out of these traps. Alexis, take us through it. What has the CFPB uh, decided to do on this issue? So today, which we're recording on June 2nd, the CFPB issued a draft uh, payday lending rule, which essentially says, hey, payday, you know, loan sharks, you actually have to make sure that the person you're giving a short-term loan to uh, has the ability to repay the loan. Crazy idea. Yeah, insane. So to Mm pre-vet customers so that they're not, so that they can't even extend a loan to people if they don't fail to pass certain tests? So so the good news is that the CFPB has embraced the standard of ability to repay. I guess there are some weaknesses in the proposal as they've outlined it, which is not the end of the world because the public actually has the opportunity right now to weigh in and say, here's how you can improve it. So essentially there are some exceptions, but yes, the general principle is you need to take a look at someone's income and you need to make a determination as to whether or not given uh, their income and their expenses, they can actually repay pay this loan. 
um, without <laughs> ruining themselves. Um, but there are some weaknesses in the rule, and one of the weaknesses is if in the past the payday lender had been able to recoup the amount of the loan by either seizing money out of their bank account, which is one of the things that payday loans allow payday lenders to do, or in the case of some of these car title loans, taking their car away, um, that's actually that can be counted as, oh, well, they had the ability to repay in the past, um, and so therefore may have the ability to repay in the future. And so I think uh, some advocates are hoping that they will improve that standard and make it a little bit more airtight. And they're also allowing payday lenders to give people uh, six loans per year before they ask about the ability to repay. Ooh, that yeah. kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so I think that the main thing that advocates will be looking for and saying uh, hey, CFPB, let's make sure that you always say that people actually have the ability to repay the loan and let's not base it on whether or not you can seize their car. I mean, w- one of the, the main problems with payday lending is, is not just the fact that they're, they're expensive, but it's the fact that people end up taking out many, many loans right. to cover an initial expense. And that can sometimes be hidden, right? So, so somebody will, will pay, you know, say, $50 for a $300 loan. You know, it's a very high interest rate, but 50 bucks one time is, is not the end of the world for, for a lot of families. What happens is they actually do end up paying back the loan, but a week later... They, they, you know, their income hasn't improved, and they've got to take out another loan because they're effectively using the payday, the payday system not as a, as a sort of income smoothing device, but actually as a replacement for income. We're, 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 we're creating new debt, and that, that obviously is unsustainable. And so, they, they call that loan flipping. So you take out one payday loan, right. and then you can't really afford to repay it, so you take out another one. And then that's how you get up to these almost 300% APR rates that a lot of people end up paying on the payday loans is because maybe it didn't start out that high, but then you get another and another and another, and then you get caught in the debt trap. Let me ask you two questions. First, um, is there some reasonable means by which a payday lender should be able to properly divine the uh, financial uh, foundation of someone they're going to lend money to? Well, I don't know if it's the right way, but they're able to do it because they connect themselves to their bank account so they see the amount of money that's coming in. So they can in. try, yeah, can see income and outflows. The second thing is, is does the CFPB, they're saying this, they're establishing this as a rule, let's say we're walking down the line and it becomes standard. Mm-hmm. Um, let's even say that we, we walk down the rule and it becomes not just standard, but the fixes that you think are appropriate get fixed. What enforcement mechanism or policing mechanism does the CFPB wield to ensure that lenders just don't lie? Well, they have enforcement authority over the payday lenders and the short-term lenders. So once the rule goes in place, they can go in and do examinations. And there's also, um, it's the consumer complaint database is something totally separate from this rule that already exists today. And it's great. It's wonderful. If you ever are overcharged by your credit card company or they rearrange, you know, when you deposit your money to make make it so that you are charged a fee that uh, is unfair, you can just go to consumerfinance.gov slash complaint and complain about it. And they'll reach out to your bank on your behalf and come back to you and say, hey, was it resolved? If it wasn't, we'll go reach out to them again. So that's one of the ways that their enforcement teams look at whether or not, you know, there may be some problem. So after this rule goes into effect, if a bunch of people are complaining about a particular payday lender over and over again for the same thing, you know, or the CFPB could also just, you know, do some proactive things, but I think they like to look at the data and see where there may be some problems. And, and the points. agency has taken taken action already against particularly egregious payday lenders. They they went after, I yeah. believe, Ace Cash Express right. yeah. uh, when there were internal documents that were found showing that a, a basic marketing <laughs> technique for Ace Cash Express was to trap people in a cycle of debt. They had which a diagram. It was like step one, get them a loan. <laughs> step two, get them another loan. And then it was just a circle going round step and round three, forever. Get rich. Yeah. <laughs> step three, remain indebted forever. <laughs> I mean, um, I think I think this I think this is a, clearly a step in the right direction, and particularly if the agency improves the rule, um, we're in good shape. But the basic problem here is remains, uh, you know, essentially widespread and deep inequality in the United States. Yeah, um, you you can't use debt as a replacement for income. Um, there is no way to financially innovate people out of poverty, and. Uh, you know, I, I think over the last 20 or 30 years, there's been a, a sort of bipartisan consensus that, you know, what, what poor people really need isn't money. It is education. It is tools. It is various, you know, various means of Silicon Valley disruption empowerment. Um, and essentially, all of these are just distractions from the fact that people don't have enough money. And so this is, a, in, in a lot of cases, particularly with payday lending, these these so-called solutions end up being a lot worse than the than the original problem was. So um, I think this is progress, but we do have to, to keep our eye on the ball here and, and, and acknowledge that 
there there are there are significant you know th- this is not going to suddenly make uh make make low income people you solvent know again. solvent yeah. again right yeah, yeah, yeah. and i <laughs> should say that um there are some states about 23 of them where payday lending is essentially illegal. The District of Columbia happens to be one of them. Um, So there are some things happening at the state level. Um, And I would also say that the payday lending industry is already, you know, making sure that they're going to fight back as hard as they possibly can against this rule. You know, they're... um, they're, they got a good thing going on in the scam economy. They really do. They don't <laughs> want to lose it. And they are going to be flooding the Bureau with a lot of complaints. They're going to be asking probably their employees and their customers to send in notes saying how great their payday loans are. And they're going to be lobbying Congress. And they we've, are. We've talked before that the political contours of this debate, when, you know, we traditionally think about who's more willing to fight equal, inequ, income inequality. We find that a lot of people on the Democratic side have fallen short of the mark, most notably uh, – I think we talked about Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who yeah. currently runs the DNC, has been uh, rather, rather uh, lenient towards payday lending. And on so, this specific issue, I mean, she's she's co-sponsoring a bill that would essentially gut the CFPB's regulations. Um, but, you know, the, the Community Financial Services Association, which is a hilariously named organization, it just means payday lenders and title lenders and various sorts of financial sort of lowlifes. Um, <laughs> But community, so it's good. They they were already pushing <laughs> They're back. They're a community ag- of blaggers. Right. They yeah. were already pushing back against the rule before it was issued. Uh, and I think they said uh, it, they issued a statement saying by the CFPB's own estimates, this will decrease the overall payday loan volume by 84%. We'll see how those estimates turn out. But the idea of decreasing the payday loan volume by 84%, a lot of that's because payday loans are super expensive. If people really need them, it's not the case that, that people necessarily will not be able to get payday loans. They will be much cheaper as a result of this of this rule. Um, so that's that's one thing to point out. The other thing is that a lot of people are just better off going to their parents and, or, or their family, their friends, and asking for, you know, for 50 or 60 bucks, and they are going to these lenders. It's more embarrassing, but over the long term, it's, it's just better for them. Um, uh, and I will say just to that point, because the payday lenders have this talking point they like to use when people say things like that and they're like, oh, well, what if they don't have friends and family? They're going to go to the mafia and mm-hmm. they're going to go to a loan shark who's going to kneecap them. So two points to that. One, there's been a bunch of enforcement actions by the Department of Justice against loan sharks who, it turns out, often charge lower rates than payday lenders, yeah. number one. <laughs> and number two, uh, the United Kingdom actually essentially banned payday lending a little bit ago and the payday lenders made the same argument there. And it turns out the demand just kind of evaporated once they banned the practice. So it, it seems like this was sort of like an artificial demand that was created by the fact that these storefronts are everywhere mm-hmm. and people didn't turn to the mafia or they didn't turn to the black market as much as people warned that they would. Yeah, I mean, I would probably go to my dad for money and not like some low-life criminal that I met at a bar somewhere. I mean, how do you even contact the mafia? Do they have like a website? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean I illegalloans.com. It's a good question. But if speaking... you're the mafia and want to contact us, please let us know. But speaking of websites, there is a website that's not the mafia's website. Um, we need as many people as possible to push back against the industry, say they think this rule is a good thing. If you've ever had a payday loan yourself, it would be especially helpful for you to tell your story. But there's a, a place where you can go where a big coalition of consumer organizations has set up its Stop Payday predators.org all right stop payday predators.org and alexis we need to get your uh, your title here you are with americans for financial reform yes i am and we have our own little section on that website if people want to go to our section stop payday predators.org slash afr all right all right great thank you alexis goldstein thank you zach uh hopefully this rule will uh get bolstered uh, and not weakened, and we'll have something decent in place for people. But wages need to grow. Okay, we have a really good show. Uh, can't wait for you to hear it. So give us a second. We'll be right back. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Hey, and uh, joining us in the studio, we got Arthur Delaney, Hi. as per usual. Yeah. And uh, very, very happy to see Laura Bassett. Hello. Welcome back. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you here. We won't be talking about your soccer playing uh, doppelganger. Own to, goal. To, uh, yeah, the famous. For life. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. She's a great player, though, and you're a great reporter, so you share that in common. Greatness. Half, <laughs> half my Twitter followers still think I'm the soccer player. So. Well, we're gonna, we'll, we'll hopefully disabuse some of them. Of, the soccer of player is British. Yes. Yes. Are you British? And blonde, and yeah. has my birthday. You have the same birthday. You have the same birthday. You well, really are Laura Bassett. It's crazy. It's really crazy. <laughs> well. Uh, why Laura's here is uh, people were warned that uh, the Zika outbreak, which has really, really plagued Central America, uh, would soon come to these shores and start revealing itself to be the sort of dread thing that it is. This week in New Jersey, uh, a child was born with microcephaly, Zika-related microcephaly. Uh, it was not an instance in which there was some kind of transmission within the continental United States of this of this disease, but still it's the first uh, child born in the continental United States with Zika-related microcephaly. Laura, you've uh, you've actually been boning up on Zika quite a bit. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of this event as far as public health uh, experts are concerned? Oh, well, I think it has more symbolic significance than anything because this has already been a problem in the United States. Three hundred pregnant women in the United States are currently known to have had Zika at some point during their pregnancies, and um, so it's sort of unclear whether those babies are going to be affected with microcephaly because it's not all babies to mothers that had Zika during their pregnancies. Right. Um, but I think there's been a problem uh, in the United where Congress is dragging its feet on funding this uh, epidemic and people don't seem to understand how big of a deal it is here. Um, I think I think it's thought of as this thing that's afflicting Brazil, that's afflicting Central America. Um, but now that a child has been born on U.S. soil, um, with microcephaly, and and people are starting to realize what that means. Each each baby born with microcephaly is estimated to cost uh, ten million dollars um, in healthcare over the course of its healthcare, life. Total total strain yeah, of the health, total. public health care system. Exactly. So the, the the let's be clear. The uh, we don't have the outbreak here yet, though. The uh, the person who had the baby had traveled. From she Guatemala, was, she was bitten by a mosquito in Honduras, Honduras, and and then came here already having been affected with Zika. But um, and I think most of the three hundred women here uh, who have Zika have gotten it elsewhere, um, have been traveling and been bitten by a mosquito while traveling. So we don't have like mosquitoes carrying Zika all over the place, biting women. That's not happening yet. But the CDC is is sounding the alarm. It's happening in Puerto Rico. We had a case in Hawaii. Um, and it's the start of mosquito season now, and so it's sort of, it's coming. So somebody who had traveled from one of these places and is here, and while the virus is, like, active in their blood, the transmission could start if a mosquito bit them and then bit someone else. Right, and also it's sexually transmitted, so people forget that as well. But um, it stays in semen longer than it stays in blood or urine, and so men can transmit it for longer than women can. Awful. Bad men. Anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, the symbolic, the the symbolism of it, while it doesn't necessarily pretend that there's some kind of outbreak happening, I think it it's it's pretty important yes. just for the symbolism because this is an, this is a case that's now in New Jersey. It's way up the eastern seaboard. We talked about you mentioned how Congress has been kind of foot dragging on the yes. whole issue of funding a Zika response. Uh, my what 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 I what I learned co- covering that part of the story was that was that the Senate is by large its entire membership a bit more engaged with Zika than the House is. House Republicans are disengaged and they want to. Uh, they want 
President Obama to siphon funding for Ebola off to face the Zika outbreak, and what they want to do is kick it, kick, kick the can down the road uh, to to a later date where everyone's talking about the regular appropriations process. But lawmakers in the South, where uh, Zika has always been on the cusp of, of threatening, we're like talking Rubio. about like Rubio. Yeah, Rubio in the Senate has been a, a, a major leader in trying to. Get uh, get Congress to fund the full freight of the 1.9 billion that Obama and the public health sector has asked for. Right. Um, and in the southern states, on a bipartisan basis, the the legislators seem more engaged. Now that it's in New Jersey, uh, you can see that maybe that kind of like cr- there might be cracks in that foundation against funding. Maybe right. Right. I hope so. You know, I went I went last week to see Tom Frieden uh, speak at this lunch. And he's the director of the, Central the direct- Centers for Disease Control. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I have never seen a head of an agency like this be so emotional and just downright desperate. And he was saying it's like it's like you're watching someone drowning and you know you can stop it, but you can't because because of administrative reasons, because somebody won't give you the funding. Um, and he and he was talking about how scary this is on, on a number of levels. One, it's it's almost impossible possible to, to test for because people have it in their blood for like two weeks. So maybe you had it at one point, you don't know you have it anymore. And so they're trying to develop a retroactive test so that you know if you ever had it at any point. Because uh, then after you've had it and it's out of your system, you're immune to it at that point. Or can you Right, but the, the point is if, if, if your wife is pregnant and she doesn't have it now, maybe she had it a month ago. Yeah. And so your baby could still be afflicted. And My you, wife is pregnant. I know she is. Yeah. Sorry for <laughs> bringing that too close to home. Anyway, so congratulations, though. So Thanks. the CDC is looking for funding for the developing testing. They're looking to d- to distribute contraceptives because a lot of these countries are saying or telling women to delay pregnancy, um, but not helping them do that. Um, and the CDC is trying to control the actual mosquito, which is the biggest concern because the mosquito, he called it the cockroach of mosquitoes. He said they actually took this particular kind of mosquito and put it in a jar and just coated the jar with insecticide, the strongest insecticide they had, and, like, closed the lid, and he said they watched the mosquito fly happily around for hours. It's like so the this Twitter is a, racist of yeah. mosquitoes. A specific type of mosquito that isn't necessarily in every place that has no, mosquitoes. Right, but it's it's really, really difficult to control. So the money that the administration has asked for on behalf of the CDC is for those things, for yes. like actually killing bugs. For killing bugs, for getting women contraceptives, for developing better testing. Um, for I mean, there's, there's, I don't know, everything the CDC does to control an epidemic. But he said, basically, they asked for this funding four months ago. And he was like... He said four months in an epidemic is a lifetime. Like he's like, if yeah. you know, you wait that long on Ebola and it wipes an entire country out. I've read a lot of public health uh, professionals talk about Zika. And it seems to me that there's even still a matter of learning curve that yes. they're, they that they are they realize that they've only begun to plumb the depths of what this virus can possibly do. Exactly. We don't know how it affects people later in life. We know that it causes these birth defects in some babies. And I think part of the problem is that it, it for lawmakers, is that it doesn't cause any symptoms. It's not killing people. And it the only people it affects are like pregnant women. And we know that Congress is not great at things that only affect pregnant women. So yeah, true. Well, there, there is like some people are affected by a, a degenerative disease, older people, right? right if it, they get sick. But that's like a really small very number. Rare. Yeah. yeah. Usually you won't know at all if you have it awful do you know it's fun it, it's it, it's so kind of weird to compare uh the way we're we're, we're reacting to zika w- when we consider how we reacted to ebola ebola obviously ebola is a killer first and foremost right um and people who contract ebola and succumb to it die in these rather melodramatic cinematic deaths right uh and of course it's very difficult to treat uh, but Ebola is compared to Zika. Ebola is a bumbling clod of a virus. You need to; it can only be transferred through, you know, bodily fluids and really like feces right. and blood. And it's contact to contact. It's not airborne. And of course, it reveals itself right away. Uh, Zika is much more stealthy, yeah. uh, and and I think probably. You know, everyone was so worried about person-to-person transmission of Ebola when we were suffering that mini outbreak. I guess technically, in public health terms, that is an outbreak. We were suffering that outbreak uh, last year. Uh, you know, we 
guy, a doctor went bowling and they, they people were worried about Ebola spreading over New York. If you knew anything about the disease, you're like, ah, it's not going to spread over New York unless the guy took a shit everywhere in New York and people bathed in it. Uh, but Zika can be transferred much more stealthy, much more readily than right. Ebola ever was. And yet we seem to be sort of like... Yeah, well, I, I mean, past the graveyard. my theory is that when you throw the issue of free contraceptives and when you throw the issue of yeah. abortion into an epidemic, it scares Republicans and they, they don't want to move on it. That's terrible. Was the money they wanted for Consistent, though. eradication and contraception, is that in the U.S. and abroad or just for just here? Both. Yeah, right. um, the USAID wants money to help distribute contraceptives abroad, um, and the CDC is already distributing contraceptives in Puerto Rico and wants to do a better job here stateside as well. Yeah, with Ebola, uh, Frieden was adamant that we had to do almost all the uh, work abroad yeah. to protect Definitely. ourselves here. But here, yeah. but with Zika, it's different. We actually have to play defense and offense. Exactly. Yep. Well, because we travel so much, and you can't stop women from traveling. And so pregnant woman travels somewhere, gets the thing, comes back, um, or a man gets bitten, comes back, and you want him to have a condom. You know? Like, there's just, like, there's it's a sexually transmitted thing. And thousands of people are about to travel to Brazil for the Olympics. Right. Wow, man, home. we need a total <laughs> shutdown of women traveling. <laughs> if, only there were, the if only there were a forceful... <laughs> now you sound like Chris Christie. ...authoritarian <laughs> figure... <laughs> We're running for office. Ban could... women from coming into the country. Yeah, until yeah. we figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's uh, like, again, again, uh, the the CDC has asked for $1.9 billion to, to fund the Zika fight. They don't want to part with money that's already been allocated to fight Ebola because they're still trying to get a foothold and master that disease. And that, yeah, like you said, you have to go to West Africa to fight and you're trying to develop a vaccine. Uh, so, and the uh, CDC is already dipping into its disaster preparedness for funds for whatever other epidemic might come up in order to use it for Zika. And Frieden's like, you should not be making us do this. Like, you should not be taking these reserve funds from which we will probably need and forcing us to use this on Zika because then yep. something else is going to pop There's up. There's always a SARS it's a game around of, the corner. Yeah, it's a game of whack-a-mole. Robbing Peter to pay Paul and then Paul's wife has a baby with microcephaly. Exactly. Pretty bad stuff. All right. Well, Laura, thanks for joining us. Uh, everyone out there in uh, podcast land, I hope you don't die because that would suck. Agreed. We'll Thank you yeah. for having me. No problem. And we are back. We are back now. We've got Arthur Delaney. Hi. Standing in, ready to go. And joining us, extra special. Oh, my God. We have <laughs> Huffington Post uh, Deputy Bureau Chief. I guess I'll take that. All right, sure. Deputy Bureau Chief. I think we may have promoted the guy on the it's air. My, it's, yeah, it's Senior Politics Editor. But senior Politics Editor. I, I, no one knows what that means, sure. to be honest. Yeah. But, that, but that's not all. Sam Stein, <laughs> host of Candidate Confessional, yeah. which Thank winds you. up its first season this weekend. It's coming yeah, out this it weekend. It comes out on Sunday night, Monday morning. And yes. who is the subject of... All right, this is our big reveal. Our last guest is Ron Klain, who was Al Gore's lawyer during the Florida recount. So oh, Florida, God, yeah. that is a big ending. Plus, he's the... He's Zika your guy. He's your boy on Ebola. And Ebola guy, yeah. Ebola's our Ron but Klain. But more importantly, sore loserman. Yeah, we yes. talked about sore loserman. <laughs> so when, it gets a mention in there, yeah. Ron Klain actually has been depicted in a movie, correct? Uh, the HBO movie about the recount. He was played by Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey played Ron Klain. That's yeah, exciting. That's well, nice. we're here today to talk about another Hollywood luminary. <laughs> oh, what a transition. Who, yeah, see? <laughs> I had planned that from the very beginning. Okay, kind of. Um <laughs> this morning when I woke up, this whole thing. Um, another Hollywood luminary who's uh, become increasingly involved in politics. Uh, only now he is jumped into the Flint water crisis a little bit bare-chested. We're, of course, referring to Mark Ruffalo. Good man, Mark Ruffalo. The Hulk. Yeah, the Hulk, friend of HuffPost Live. But Is that the movie uh, character you associate with him most, the Hulk? I honestly don't. Uh, I never saw his Hulk movie. I saw Spotlight. <laughs> he didn't do a Hulk movie. He did the Avengers, in which he played Hulk. Those movies suck. <laughs> oh, so I don't care. <laughs> I'm more of a kids are all right type Mark Ruffalo guy. To be good, honest with you, good movie. So, yeah. so he's a, a water activist on the side. He goes everywhere, yeah, uh, promoting 
Water cleanliness. I saw him on Bill Maher doing this. Yeah. And so Flint, what's going on in Flint has to be something of a uh, fertile ground for him to do water activism. Sort of. You know, he, he went to Flint. His group, Water Defense, which is a nonprofit, went to Flint early this year. Uh, and this is sort of after the, the dust has begun to settle. Like, they, we you know, identified the problem, all the culprits. They had switched back to Detroit's water supply, which is correctly treated back in October. So it's, it's, it's uh, mainly a blame game in Flint at this point while people continue to drink bottled water. Right. Waiting for the uh, infrastructure to heal a little bit. But Ruffalo went in there just guns blazing uh, because there's this ongoing controversy over whether the water is causing rashes that people say they're having. And Ruffalo went on CNN and was like, you know, you really can't listen to the government, the EPA, these other outside experts who are saying this water is safe to bathe and you just can't say it. Okay, well, but we've, we've, we've blamed the government. We've, we've held out the EPA for scorn. That's right. What, what's happening in Flint. So where is the most trustworthy person to pin it on? So, and what is Ruffalo saying about those people? They're, they're, he not only said you can't listen to the EPA, he said you can't listen to Mark Edwards and Dr. Mona, who's been a guest on Whoa, this show. Oh, now that kind of rankles he, me. He said you can't even listen to them because they're saying we have no reason to indicate this water is unsafe for bathing. Mark I, Ruffalo's like, you can't say that. So just to, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Right now, if you're a Flint, Michigan resident, you should not drink the water, but you can bathe in the water. You should not drink the unfiltered water. You should only drink the water or use it for cooking if you have a, a certified lead-removing filter Correct. attached to your sink. Faucet. But what about bathing? Bathing, they have said for uh, all year that it is safe to bathe in, but for longer than for a long time now, some people in Flint, not everybody, but some people have said that it's giving them rashes. That it uh, it burns, that it uh, is causing gotcha. hair loss. So, so Ruffalo comes in and he says, "You know what? In fact, you're not. Not only should you not drink the unfiltered water, but you shouldn't bathe with the unfiltered." He said, water. "You can't trust these assurances." And uh, when you know they uh, they got a little bit of pushback, I'm like, "Well, we're not saying you can't. You definitely can't bathe in it." Yeah, but you're just we're just saying that you can't trust these people. And here's where it gets weird. Okay, all right, because we're a little weird already. But go ahead. This is weird. Yes, this is weird. Uh, in which the you know scientists who were whistleblowers, who initially told you not to trust the government, who were then proven right, now R- R- Ruffalo is calling those people into question. So he's whistleblowing on the whistleblowers. Yes, is and there what, a scientific basis for his claims though? No, okay. not at all. It's crazy. <laughs> It's crazy. Well, what so, is the basis? So then? the whistleblowers started blowing back, and uh, and I did a little reporting, and it turns out Mark Ruffalo's got this guy who he called a chief scientist, who has no scientific background whatsoever. Is he at least a chief? Yes. Okay, no, so he... no, he's not a. He invented a uh, a technology called Opflex, which is an absorbent foam that he had for, since 2010 had been taking to oil spills and promoting as a way to clean up oil. Yeah. And now they made a thing called the water bug that they said you could use to really test what's wrong with, with your drinking water. I really don't like the sound so of this. So this is a guy who like goes down to the Gulf after Katrina and says, I can clean this place up with my a- sponge. After the Deepwater Horizon spill, he got BP to endorse the sponge technology for oil. This isn't an oil spill in Flint. Correct. Yeah. But the same technology. And the company told me, yeah, we love when he does this because he gets royalties and the promotion uh, increases sales of the product for other industrial applications. So this guy's walking around with Ruffalo, basically, and making claims about the health or the the healthiness of or usability of Flint's water. Yeah, are people believing him? There are some uh, Flint residents who really appreciate what he's doing. Uh, most notably, a woman named Melissa Mays, who now does not trust the other scientists, only believes. Uh, Mark Ruffalo. Um, so there, it's created, it's one of many things that has created some division within the activist community. I, don't, I have no idea how uh, how well uh, believed, he, how widely believed 
these claims are in Flint, but I know there are some. And well, the people that believe him, they're just not. They're what are they doing? Are they bathing with uh, bottled yeah, water? They are. They are. They are saying. Well, Melissa, for instance, says you know they're still using the water. They try to limit their showers, but she says it's giving them uh, breathing and problems, one last skin question. problems. If you had a bunch of people uh, who were not bathing as frequently as possible because of these concerns, what kind of pel- uh, public health issues would be resulting from that? Well, Mark Edwards, who is the, one of the whistleblowers we mentioned, he actually says that it, moms have called him and said, we won't use the water because of what Mark Ruffalo is saying. We're not. We're telling our kids not to wash their hands. And then there happened to be... Wait, what? Yeah, a spike in... Well, a, a spike in GI gastrointestinal illnesses I wonder in why. Genesee County. Couldn't see There's that no, one you, Well, you can't, you can't prove a causation, but... Sure. Edward certainly draws a bright red line from Ruffalo to that. So do you think Ruffalo, what do you think is motivating Ruffalo here? I think Mark Ruffalo is not like down in the weeds. He's doing so many different uh, forms of activism that I don't know how closely he's following this. Though I know I have emailed him questions and and not really gotten any responses. You've spoken to spokespeople yeah, from his, this organization. Yeah, his publicist in okay. Hollywood speaks for the nonprofit. It's always good when a Hollywood publicist is taken out of <laughs> yeah. public health care. So, now, so it's exactly what you want. Because of what he said, now the now three <laughs> teams from three universities did all this testing in recent weeks and uh, looked for the contaminants that they said they found with their proprietary water bugs. This is what the Ruffalo people said they found with their weird... Yeah, so now, so now established, credentialed university researchers went and looked for the same problems and this week said, look, it's not there. Mm. None of this stuff... You can't listen to these guys. And has Ruffalo and his team responded to that? What the, they, they didn't respond to most of it, but what they wound up saying... They didn't respond at all, actually. They just said <laughs> this sort of non-sequitur, we just want people to have information. This is Which crazy, is, man. It's, it's not a response, because the accusation is that you are giving false information. All right. I mean, it sounds to me like you have pure like scientists, like bona fide scientists who do peer-reviewed works and hold themselves to a standard of research that's higher than most, going up against a guy who's well-meaning but has allied himself with some dude with kind of a crackpot But this is a traumatized city. Of course, city it's susceptible yeah. to that kind of thing. Where for 18 months, scientists who are respected or you know, supposed to be respectable told them to drink lead-tainted water. Yeah. yeah. So there's a massive uh, credibility vacuum, and I think uh, this... I think this, everyone needs to compare notes right now. I, I think the, uh, the the Scott Smith, the uh, sponge a, inventor, is leading the charge here, and Ruffalo maybe is going along. This is with sort it. of what happens when like your institutions break down and trust. Yeah, breakdown. definitely, so absolutely. Let, what, let me ask you this: If you did get a chance to talk to Ruffalo, what's like the one question you would want to ask him? I'd say, it, how is this not a massive conflict of interest to bring uh, a proprietary? technology that the guy profits from as a solution to a, a local water or any water problem. Like how can you how can this be your nonprofits what your nonprofit does? I did put that to them and they just denied it. They said it he doesn't profit from it. Do the, you, the company said he does. And and as you report this out and as you do like this really sort of great reporting on the front lines of the Flint water crisis like, do you go home and, and sort of envision a future movie in which you're portrayed by Mark Ruffalo? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and who plays Mark Ruffalo in that movie? Wait, wait, wait. You said Mark Ruffalo Mark portrays plays me. You. Yeah, he plays you. So right. then who plays Mark Ruffalo? He can't play both roles. Uh, I guess really, he could. That's a really good question. Ed Norton. Ed Norton would play Perfect. Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Mm, Perfect. Yeah, or All like right. Charles Dance. Or Charles Dance. Yeah, that's like a, a good one. Yeah, bad. It's a good. It's a good one. Um, all right. Well, what can I say? If Mark Ruffalo or any of the other Avengers or characters from the Marvel extended universe want to <laughs> explain what's going on in Flint and who's right and who's wrong, our our studio is always open. Uh, thanks, Arthur. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Guys, Candidate confessional. You're last the best. one. Thank you, guys. Last one. Tune in. Subscribe. Keep going. And listen to listen <laughs> to them all. Listen to them all. The Michelle Bachman one, one of my favorites. Thank you. Um, uh, we will be right back.
And we're back. And uh, we are joined now by, well, Zach Carter. Hi, He's everybody. Here. He is here. I'm, I'm here. And uh, Igor Bovic hello, is hello. with us as well. So, uh, fun topic today. Donald Trump, as you may know, is a scam artist. Breaking. Yeah. <laughs> and perhaps the nameless ultra of his scam artistry is this thing called Trump University, which right away sounds like nothing you want to be involved in. Uh, but uh, we are learning more about Trump University because documents pertaining to the case that's been laid against Trump University by many of the people who were wronged by Trump University have uh, come pu- have become public now, much to Donald Trump's anger and regret. And Igor, you have uh, you and uh, your colleague Christina Wilkie have uh, been diving down into this hot nonsense. Yes, yeah, what's the story? It's been a it's been a fun afternoon yesterday. Um, so what are the allegations here? So the allegations are there, there's uh, around 5,000 former students and, and members who have joined this so-called Trump University, which is, by the way, an unaccredited for-profit institution. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> Emphasis here on unaccredited. Um, but, and it's, it's, it's been defunct now for several years. Um, but uh, documents revealed that through this lawsuit that these 5,000 former members are, have filed uh, reveal that largely the institution was set up to prey on unsuspecting uh, victims and uh, uh, exploit vulnerable students seeking to, you know, make a fortune. Uh, and the way they did this was basically target uh, uh, low-income people, unsuspecting uh, marks, basically, as a con man would say, um, you know, solicit them to uh, open new credit cards, to uh, seek sources of income out of their retirement accounts, drain their retirement accounts, just to you know put more money into this into this quote unquote scheme, as one of uh, the former students who is now suing Trump has said. So here's something that I find what? interesting about this. This is obviously gross, right? I mean, yeah, Trump so Trump is basically taking money from people who don't know any better um, and offering them fake education, and these things run anything from few courses online to like a $35,000 program. Um, that's all really bad and not good, right? Uh, unpresidential, we might say. Um, but Trump's university, quote unquote university, was unaccredited. It was not actually offering people any sort of actual formal educational degree, which makes it more scammy. However, this exact same type of behavior goes on in the for-profit college industry all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in in many cases, the Department of Education has been extremely reluctant to do anything about it. Um, and this I, is I one of the reasons problem. I was so surprised when Marco Rubio took up this issue of for profit uh, of of Trump University because at the time he had been a noted defender of Corinthians College, which is another essentially widespread scam. I think that this the the Trump University like sort of combines the sort of foundational scamminess of a for profit institution with the clown face dickery of <laughs> Donald Trump in ways that that I, I are, are just a little bit more flamboyant and melodramatic than the typical uh, for-profit university story. That's right. It, it directly involved Trump's image, and, and he was personally involved in setting up, you know, some of these prompts and, and what the instructions on, on how to basically game money out of these people. Um, uh, some of the scripts that you know instructors used on on people would uh, say things like, uh, you know, let me ask you, blank, um, is everything Donald Trump does the best? <laughs> he wouldn't put his name on this if it wasn't, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, please, you know, if you feel assured that it's Trump and it's his image and it's this wealthy guy who's on TV and he looks like he's having the time of his life. Why wouldn't you want to be associated with this? What did Trump University promise to do for people? Make them money, essentially. But how? Uh, make them experts in the real estate business, Trump's forte. Which is not a new thing for him to be doing through Trump University, right? He has been, during the housing crisis and, and before the housing crisis, he would speak at you know to large auditoriums full of people, teaching them, you know, People would pay to come see him talk and, and give advice on how to flip houses. And you'd see, like, you know, balloons with his face on them going up in the crowd and stuff like that. And, you know, people who come to these things are not sophisticated investors, right? Nobody who actually knows what they're doing with real estate investments 
goes and pays hundreds or thousands of dollars to Donald Trump to teach them about it. It is explicitly designed to be a way to prey on people who don't have a whole lot of good income opportunities and talk them into giving you a lot of money for doing absolutely nothing. To that to that point, uh, one of the people who are, who are now suing uh, Trump um, in these documents revealed yesterday uh, uh, gave this account about how he uh, was dealing with this couple who who was obviously in bad financial straits, and he felt bad personally, you know, trying to uh, elicit money out of them, and he he re- resisted, and he was directly reprimanded by it by his superiors. And um, after that, he watched one of his superiors actually get money out of this couple, and he he just said he, he literally felt disgusted, and he called it a scheme. Does does anyone who helped Trump uh, facilitate the scam? feel remorse about having done so i i imagine so but now there's they're <laughs> they're suing him so. oh so it's not just it's not just the the marks who are suing him and some of the people who uh participated right. in in the scam yeah it's so common to talk about donald trump as being somewhat unique to the conservative movement uh and once we peel the onion we find out that really what trump is is very much rooted and things conservatives have done for a long time. There are a number of principled conservatives out there who have spent a lot of energy decrying <clears throat> the way in which people are scammed. Uh, we've, we, we can point to examples. There's, there's Mike Huckabee uh, hawking cancer cures in, 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 in zany newsletters. There's those uh, penny stock uh, um, uh, pitches that come out in like Newsmax newsletters get people... In investing money in buried in the fine print of these of these pitches is like a tiny declaration is like by the way all of this is designed to make the facilitator of the penny stock money you probably won't make any money i mean you know you see this also <laughs> this with, is still like, of a piece of you know, that. Ron, ron paul you know give, giving books on how to avoid the coming financial apocalypse new gingrich all, as well. right, new gingrich all yeah. the gold buggery stuff that happens we're trying to we're trying to sell old people gold coins uh, when they're watching cable news. Um, this, is a, this is a really, really common thing in, in, conservative, uh, in, in, in the conservative political culture. Um, in, in, on the Democratic side, I don't think it, it really exists so much that the scams and the weirdness tend to be more sort of like moved through officialdom. So, right. so well, look you, at look at Alan Grayson. You know, you got some of that going on there. Yeah, right, right. He's, yeah. he's using offshore hedge fund money, and that's pretty. That's you know a weird thing to do when you're running running Congress. Or you look at the Clintons, and you say the Clinton Foundation. There's a lot of really strange things that are going on with money there. It doesn't seem to be as just lowbrow sleaze though. As, right, as the it's Republican not, it's, side. The Clinton Foundation isn't like literally grabbing people up off the street and shaking them by their legs until every penny in their pocket falls out. Right. If if, if the Clinton if if the Clinton Foundation is doing anything, uh, it's more like uh, corporate untoward. brand washing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or or you know, foreign government, you know, corruption washing, whatever right. you want to do. I mean, there, there could be really big problems with what's going on at the Clinton Foundation, but it's not just the obvious. I'm going to take money from old people and people who haven't been to college scams that you see that you do see on the conservative side. Yeah. So what this this case is now uh, a going concern for Donald Trump. He had tried to he, he well, he'd hoped it would go away. He's famously said he won't settle this case, which is, I think, something he should have done. Um, and now, he's, he's doubling down on it. His team is actually gearing up for, for this process, legal process. And he's dissing the, the judge. In That's the case, right. That's uh, right. Uh, in in racist terms, he's basically sort of likened him to the Mexicans. He's just, he's decried he's, as he's called him Mexican. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so when is this? But this case isn't supposed to actually conclude until after the election, right? Correct. Correct. So what's is is there a situation in which this could dog him during the campaign? Because that's something you would have expected, maybe conservative elites to confront him about at some point. Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely going to be opportunity for additional documents to come out. It depends on how the case goes, but I think this is a, is a prime opportunity for Democrats because they're going to keep wailing on this thing as long as the case is open. Yeah, well, it's... I think this sort of thing hurts him, too. I mean, I think this actually is... That's, is that's an open damaging. question because this, and there's, you know, it's an open question because uh, for anybody else, Mitt Romney, say, or any other kind of Republican running for president, this would have been, you know... Death. Death. Yeah. You would not have even run. Right. <laughs> right. Right. This is this is sort of the bane uh bane capital twenty twelve of Mitt Romney, uh of for Trump. And yet 
you know, are reporters going to just brush it off next week? Or is it going to be a story next week? You know, I think that's, we don't know that yet. I it, feel like this type of attack, though, is the type of attack on Trump that works. Because it, it undermines the idea that he's somebody who is who is out there sticking up for the little guy or the regular Joe. It's something that oppo people during the primary said was gaining the most traction. What's But it's still just crazy to me. Yep. It is like, it goes back to the the whole attacks on John McCain. If there was a Rubio University doing the same thing, he'd be dead. A Jeb University doing the same thing, he'd be dead. A Huckabee University doing the same thing, he'd be dead. And yet, you know that the only guy who could maybe wing walk his way out of this is Donald Trump, and that's crazy. It is crazy. I, that's, it just speaks to what kind of candidate he is and what people see in him. It's more about attitude than it is about policy, than it is about his personal background. It's all just about for the lack of a better term, swagger, I guess. All right. Well, mm-hmm. we just want our listeners to know, don't attend any university that has Trump on it. Don't eat a steak that has Trump on it. Don't drink a vodka that has Trump on it. You can probably pour that on possums. The, the, if you wine, want the to wine's kill, pretty but, good, actually. All right. The wine's pretty good, but that's Patricia Kluge's wine. All right. Zach's drinking the Kool-Aid. Here. All right. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> Zach, Zach's found a Trump product he'll endorse. All right. Thank you, Igor. We'll continue to cover this story, and we will be right back. So that's what happened this week. One addendum to last week's show, during the discussion on Peter Thiel's lawsuit with Gawker Media, we neglected to mention the precipitating event that inspired Thiel to start funding lawsuits against the media company, a 2007 article that Thiel says outed him as gay. This is disputed by Gawker Media in general and the author of the post specifically, Owen Thomas, who contends that Thiel was publicly known to be an out gay man at the time the article was published. I had meant to make note of this last week, but failed to do so. That's on me. I apologize for the omission and invite everyone who listened last week to reevaluate their opinions on the matter in light of what I left out. Now, this podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Christine Canetta. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by Alexis Goldstein from Americans for Financial Reform, as well as Huffington Post reporters Laura Bassett, Igor Bobek, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Sam Stein. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Please check out the whole family of Huffington Post podcasts in the iTunes store, including Candidate Confessional, whose season finale is coming out this weekend. And while you're there, please subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening. We miss you already. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.